All right. I always love that. Max basically stole all the thunder from my sermon. That's everything I was going to say in a very short form. So I, uh, while the kids are going out, uh, they got something that I had uh, never seen before. Maybe the kids are familiar with it. But kids, if you want to look at this, this is what was in your bag. It's a bookmark. And you have a little scratchy thing, and Sandy made that. I don't have that good of, uh, I don't have that many skills. Uh, but so you, there's three of them in there, so you can draw stuff on the bookmark, and then you can put that in your Bible in Galatians 4, and you can remember that just the right time Jesus came. Rejoice the Lord. Amen. And again, I say, Rejoice. all right, well, last week, Pastor John preached on the blank page, the page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he talked about what happened during those 400 years of silence. And so today, we're going to talk about the breaking of that silence. Now, sometimes God's timing can be hard to understand. I remember back in 2016, we had this uh, funny, energetic kid from Vietnam show up in our youth group. And uh, as we built a relationship with him, we said, hey, uh, he needs a place to stay next year. Let's invite him to move into our house. But as we looked at our budget, we said, okay, he's a teenager. He's going to eat food like teenager boys eat food. We're going to have to drive him to school every day. We looked at the budget and didn't really add up. But we had faith and confidence that that was what God was asking us to do. And so we stepped forward in a leap of faith. And because we did that, because he came into our house and we didn't have any financial assistance, Carter actually qualified for pre, free preschool, and we didn't have to pay for daycare. And so God, at just the right time, provided exactly the amount of money we needed to bring Kai into our home. Now, in those situations, sometimes you go, wouldn't it have been nice if we knew that before we invited him? <laughs> we could just say, yes, you can come into our home. We, we know exactly how God's going to provide wouldn't it provide less stress if we knew that information ahead of time? Absolutely. But would it have built our faith in the same way that it did, having to find God provide at just the right time? Probably not. See, I have watched time and time again where God has provided what was needed at the exact time that he needed to provide it. Not on my timing, not when I thought it was the right time. But there are times in my life where I felt like, from my point of view, God was not doing that. Where my prayers didn't seem to be getting answered, or I was getting an answer that I didn't like. Where I was praying, it seemed like God was silent. It seemed like He wasn't responding. And maybe you've been there, and maybe you're even there today. You've been praying for a new job, and yet you find yourself still unemployed, or underemployed or stuck in the same role you've been stuck in for a long time asking God when will you help me get out of this or maybe maybe you've been praying for healing and the treatments aren't fixing the problem and the medicine isn't working and and you find yourself still struggling physically as you hope and wait for healing or maybe you you find yourself praying for God to provide a, a baby and yet you still struggle with infertility there's so many different circumstances in our life where we find ourselves waiting, asking God, when are you going to move? There are times when it seems like God is silent. For the Israelites, that was 400 years. 400 years with no prophet, 
400 years with no direct revelation, 400 years of no Messiah, 400 years of silence. And yet, as Pastor John said last week, God's silence does not equal his absence. We looked at last week how God was moving in the midst of those 400 years, even as Israel thought he was silent. What they didn't realize is that before the foundation of the world, God had planned the birth of his son at just the right time. So today on Christmas Eve, we celebrate that Christ came at the right time. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And right now in this congregation, there are people who have had answered prayers. They've seen you move. They've seen you work. They've seen you deliver at just the right time. And there are probably others that find themselves in that silence, wondering when you're going to act, how you're going to act. They feel like they've been praying for a long time, and it seems like there's silence. I pray that today, as we open your word, you'll convict us, you'll challenge us, you'll encourage us, you'll help us to see that you are good, and that your timing is the best timing. Lord, help us to believe that today. In your name we pray. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians 4. This is the verse that, that he just read. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came at just the right time. Literally, it means when the fullness of time had come, the time that God had planned from the beginning. And last week, Pastor John mentioned that it was the right time for a number of different reasons. We're going to look at four today. It was the right time theologically. From the beginning, God had promised the coming of the Messiah. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that one day an offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. And God's covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God promised an offspring one through whom all would be blessed. In the law given to Moses, God showed the nation of Israel that it was impossible to live a perfect life and that a sacrificial lamb was necessary. A sacrifice was necessary. And through the prophets, hundreds of prophecies pointed forward to Jesus. Last year for Christmas, we looked at some of those prophecies And depending on how you do the math, as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament point directly to Jesus. Daniel even pointed to the time of Jesus' death. It was the right time theologically for Jesus to come because it was God's appointed time. It was also the right time religiously. The Roman Empire was extremely wicked. Now, I want you to hear this for a second. When we look around our culture, it can be easiest. I've heard people say it's getting worse and worse and worse. And there are elements where we can see that truth. But when we look at the Roman Empire, we, we can be thankful that we live where we live. When we look and we watch football and we lament CTE and concussions and the damage it does to football players as a culture we go that's a violent sport and yet if someone gets injured on a football field what happens people kneel they pray they worry and yet in Rome people would gather around in the Colosseums and cheer as slaves 
and as, as people that were conquered and as peasants would fight to the death and eventually as Christians would be murdered and people would cheer. A culture where later after this, uh, Nero would actually have Christians burn to bring light to the city. This was a very depraved culture. We lament the slavery in the past of America, and we should. It's a dark moment in our, in our history of our nation. It's, it's horribly sad. But yet the Greco-Roman world probably had more slavery than any culture before or since. From the mundane of debt slavery to exploitation and, and, and horrific acts. It was full of slavery throughout that culture. We lament the godlessness of our society, but they had temples for the goddesses of fertility where people could go and participate things that are illegal in our country in order to worship their gods. It was a culture that was just horrible. And the king, the Caesar, claimed to be a god and told people they had to worship him. With that backdrop of depravity, many in the Roman culture were disenfranchised by their gods. They would go and worship the god of fertility at the temple and then they wouldn't be able to have kids. And they would go and, and, and worship the god of rain and there would be no rain. And they found themselves wanting religious things, but the gods that they worshipped fell short. And so that led many Gentiles to be open to spiritual things and it set the stage for the spread of the gospel. But the gospel didn't only spread among the Gentiles. It spread among the Jews. Now because of the mass conquerings, of the Jewish people, something called the diaspora happened. And you can see on this map, all these dots represent uh, Jewish communities. The Jews were spread all throughout the Roman Empire. And because of that, in a lot of those places, they experienced religious persecution. And so that led to them in their synagogues talking about the Messiah, preaching about the Messiah, having hopeful expectation for when the Messiah would come, what would happen. They were ready. So overall, it was the right time religiously because both Jew and Gentile alike had a genuine desire for spiritual things. But ultimately, it was the right time religiously because it was God's time. It was also the right time culturally. Now, if you look at this map of the Roman Empire, it was very vast, huge. But through Alexander the Great's massive conquest and Hellenization of conquered countries and Rome's unifying presence throughout this whole known area, everybody spoke Greek. The culture was very similar. People worshipped the same gods. And so as, as the missionaries traveled to the different areas... They were able to bring the Old Testament scriptures in Greek, were able to teach from them in a language that everybody knew. They were able to engage with the culture, knowing what it was because they grew up in that same culture. It was the right time culturally because it was God's time and it was the right time politically. John mentioned the Pax Romana last week from 27 B.C. to 180 A.D. There was this tremendous peace throughout the Roman Empire. And so that allowed the the missionaries to spread without having to wage through war zones and these things like that. Going back to this uh, map, there were 250,000 miles of roads, that's all these red lines, 
50,000 of them were, were stone roads. And so as the gospel spread out from Israel and went out to all these places, what, what you see is that the missionaries were able to travel and go and spread the good news. It was the right time politically because it was God's time. See, it was the right time theologically. It was the right time religiously. It was the right time culturally. It was the right time politically. In the words of John Calvin, the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonable and fit. Or in the words of Phil Severin, it was the right time because it was God's time. Because God appointed before the foundation of the world when this would happen. God isn't passively standing by as, as the past goes on, as history unfolds. He's active. Last week, Pastor John brought up Acts 17. From one man he created the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. God was active throughout the, the nation's history. Why? His purpose was for nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. God was not passively waiting for the right time. He was directing history to just the right time for Jesus to come. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son. If you were to summarize the gospel, in four words. One simple way to do that would just be to say, God sent His Son. God, the Creator of all things, the Ruler of the universe, sent His Son, Jesus, also the Creator of all things, Sustainer of all things, to come and be born in Bethlehem as a little baby. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, That He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Tonight, or tomorrow morning, millions of people all throughout America and throughout the whole world will celebrate Christmas. For some, it's a night to open presents and to celebrate with family. For some, it's a night to read stories about Santa Claus and sugar plums. For others, it's a night to watch movies about Elf or a somewhat inappropriate lamp. For Christians, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate a glorious truth. God sent His Son 2,000 years ago to a humble couple in a humble guest room. The baby was born wrapped in cloths and placed in a feeding trough to rest. The King of kings and Lord of lords was born that day. The Redeemer of all mankind. The Savior of the world. The truth is that God sent His Son to provide peace and hope, love and joy, surrender. At just the right time, God sent His Son. God sent His Son born of a woman. As the kids rightfully said, she was born of Mary, a virgin. She wasn't born because of Joseph. She was a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit to Mary. And Mary's genealogy traces all the way back to Adam, back to Adam and Eve, back to Eve, who God said, your offspring will crush the heel 
or crush the head of the serpent. She was, he was born to a woman. Not only that, he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. And we ended our series on Malachi, and we pointed out that the end of the Old Testament ends with a curse. It ends with a curse. Why would it end with a curse? Well, it ends with a curse because it points to the fact that no one can live fully under the law. We looked at Galatians 3, which says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Paul, when he's writing this, is looking back to the end of the Old Testament. He's saying, look, this is why I ended with a curse, because we're all under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That means if you read the Ten Commandments, if you've even messed up one of them, then you're cursed. And Jesus goes further and says, look, if you've looked lustfully after a woman, you've committed adultery. If you, if you, you think hatefully about someone, you've committed Murder. The point is that none of us can attain this perfection. So God had to send a redeemer. And Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Or in the words of Galatians 4, Jesus was born under the law to redeem those that are under the law. Now here's the crazy thing. Jesus was born, we had a nativity, scene, nativity set a couple of weeks ago and we, we reenacted uh, comically the, the birth of Jesus. But he was, he was born in Bethlehem, to a humble place. And now his earthly father, Joseph, and his mother would have brought him up and trained him in the Torah. Trained him what the law was, what it meant to follow the law. And all through his childhood, he would go into the synagogues and learn the law. But unlike us, he lived every part of it perfectly. He did not sin. He did not even fail one jot or tittle. He was born under the law, but he was also the perfect sacrifice that the law demanded. The law demanded a sacrifice. And, and when we look at the story of Exodus and we see the, day, the, the Passover, that pointed forward to Jesus, who would be the sacrifice to, to cover up our sins. When the Israelites would go to Jerusalem to, say, to, to, to go to the Day of Atonement, to worship Yahweh, the, the pure, spotless lamb would be sacrificed to point forward to Jesus, who would be, have to be sacrificed for us. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God. He redeemed us. And how did He do that? Why did He do that? So that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, the word sonship there is, is important. It doesn't mean that God doesn't adopt men and women, that God doesn't have daughters. We see that all throughout the rest of Scripture. But the, the son was the one who received the inheritance and the, and the blessing. And so he's pointing to this beautiful truth. We are adopted by God into sonship, meaning all the rights and blessings of the family are given to us. An inheritance the name, the identity, the privilege are all coming to us. I'll tell more of this story later, but in 2021, when, 
we became certified foster parents to adopt. Our goal was to adopt. When we were paired with kids, uh, we would we put in requests for kids that we would like to adopt, and a lot of times it would go months without hearing back, but twice we were paired, and they sent us a dossier of the child. And that dossier had everything that they'd ever gone through. It had their medical records, their school records, their you know everything you can think of, their shot records, immunizations, juvenile records, all of that. It was all right there. And we had to, as parents, look at those things and say, okay, do we want to adopt this child? When God looks at our dossier, what does he see? God chose to adopt us even though he had our whole dossier. Think of all your rebellious deeds, all your evil thoughts, all the good deeds you've done out of selfish motives, every sin you have ever committed from the time you were born until now. Hebrews 4 says that nothing is hidden in God's sight, that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. God knows every single thing you have ever done wrong, thought wrong, everything. And yet He still sent Jesus. He still sent Jesus to the cross so that He could adopt us as sons and daughters. We were enemies of God, slaves to sin, slaves to our selfishness, our self-righteousness, We were lost. And yet for those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says God loves you. That God sent His Son for you. That God chose you. That God bought you with the price. The price of His Son being murdered on the cross. That God redeemed you out of slavery from sin and gave you new life. That He purified you of all unrighteousness and atoned for your sin. That He adopted you into His family and gave you an inheritance. That you now have a new name, a new identity, a new purpose. Because God sent His Son. See, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I just have two points. Two points I want you to walk away with today as you go to celebrate Christmas. These two things. I want to drive these two things home. One, God's timing is best. After Malachi, the Israelites waited. As they waited... Alexander the Great came in, conquered Israel, and they waited. And after Alexander the Great died, the Ptolemies down in Egypt and the Seleucids up north went to war. And how did they go to war? What was between Ptolemy and Seleucid? Israel. They ravaged the country back and forth, having war with each other. And Israel waited. And then Israel was able to finally, for a little bit, gain their independence. That's why Jews celebrate Hanukkah. They celebrate that freedom and independence that they gained during that time. But then Rome came in and conquered Israel. And they waited. They waited. 
And they waited. 400 years. When will God act? When will God do something? But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, God sent His Son. See, as John said, God's silence does not equal His absence. God was active in the midst of that time. Pastor John told us to do something in last week's message, and I found that if Pastor John tells you to do something, you should do it. He's just a really wise guy. <clears throat> so he said to go back and look at a, listen to a sermon from April of 2021 where I preached through the 400 years. And uh, since he told me to do it, I said I thought I'd go back and do it. In that sermon, uh, I talked with passion about our journey toward adoption. You have to excuse me if I get emotional during this time. Uh, in, in, back in like 2015, we started having a journey, but in 2020 uh, was when we finally said we're going to take the leap. January of 2021, we were certified uh, as foster parents. That January, we put in a request for two boys. In uh, February, we got uh, an email that we were paired with them. And uh, I have never prayed harder in my life. Um, because the dossier said uh, one of those two boys would probably never be able to live on his own. So Sandy and I were wrestling with, do we willfully choose to adopt a son that may never leave our home? That changes retirement, changes our whole life. At the end of the day, we decided to say yes. We said, God, if this is what you want, we're going to do it. And if you're going to close the door, you close the door. And God closed the door. The, the, the two brothers, their, their foster parent decided to adopt them, which was the best case. They had been living with the parent for two years. Best case scenario. So we went away going, okay, God, you know what you're doing. And so that April when I preached a, a message, I, I told you guys, we have an empty room. And we're asking God to, to fill the room. And then May 4th came. May 4th is my wife's birthday. On that day, we got an email that we were paired with this other child. Now, this other child was a little different than the first two children. This other child, when we first started looking on the website, I started praying for him almost every day. For about a year, I had been praying for him almost every day. The other child, at the beginning of the fall, had disappeared from the website. But the day we got our license, he reappeared, and we put in for him. Now the day of Sandy's birthday, we get a thing saying we're matched. But they told us because of the things, this is a little different. They were going to go through the process with two families. A month later, we got the full disclosure. A couple of weeks later, we were asked to record a video introducing our family to him. And they were going to choose between, between the two families. For me, it seemed like everything was lining up. All the signs were pointing to this being our son. And then July, sorry, we got word they chose the other family. They tell you not to get emotional, not to get emotionally tied to kids <laughs> for good reason. Uh, I found myself devastated. Is that the right word? And the good thing, if you're not transparent when you're a pastor, is when you face, go through this stuff, nobody has to know about it. The hard thing is when you're really transparent, everybody knows. And I found myself wrestling 
because it seemed like God had closed the door on adoption in a way that seemed really clear. But I had just told the whole church that I'm going to adopt. And now would I go back and go like, just kidding. Uh, and so we, we prayed and said, God, what do you want from us? What do you want for us? And we decided to stop putting in a request for names and we didn't know what was next. And then August came. And in August, uh, we watched what happened in Afghanistan. And God just tugged our hearts. We said, this wasn't the plan, but, but okay. So we called the agency and said, okay, will you, uh, we'd be willing to take a family temporarily until they find a home. Uh, you know, we got space in our basement. We got a, a bathroom. We got a kitchenette, all that stuff. They said, no, you need a full kitchen. We can't do that. All right, well, uh, got close to the word adoption, but we'll, wa- we'll watch like a, you know, if you have like a 10-year-old Afghan boy, we, we'll, we'll do that. And they said, how about two 14-year-olds? And we said, uh, no, no. Um, we had had uh, two Chinese students that lived with us uh, for a little bit as exchange students, and uh, they kind of isolated themselves, and at dinner they talked to each other in Chinese and not talked to us in English, and we always thought they were talking about how bad our food was. We didn't really know. So we were like, we, we don't want two, we want one. And they said, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not doing the one thing. We're only doing two. And so we said, okay, we'll take the two 14-year-olds. And they said, well, the one's gone already. How about a 14, 17-year-old? What? God, you're, you keep moving the goalposts. This is really frustrating. Well, anyways, uh, after some prayer, we, we said yes. And uh, Friday... We had dinner at our house uh, with 14 Afghan family. Both of the boys' families now have arrived safely in America, one at the end of August, one a few weeks ago. And we had a meal with all 18 of us in the house. For two years, we were on a journey that we had no idea was going to come. In 2015, 2016, when God started placing my heart, I had no idea that I would be sitting in the airport waiting for two people that didn't speak English to come move into my house. I had no idea that they would ask to ride back with us in the car and I would be driving home from the airport unable to communicate with the two people that were about to live in my house. I had no idea that Bethany would lie to me and say that they were going to go and walk through us, and they were going to help us have a conversation with these two boys, and walk through our lives, and have them ask us all these questions. Instead, we would do three hours of paperwork with the translator, and they would leave. And I'd be there with two people that don't speak English, and their language is not in Google Translate. I had no idea the next day I would take them out to lunch, and we would just sit there and stare at each other, because we had no way to communicate. I would point at the food and go, and they go, okay, that's all we got. That's it. People from different nation, different religion, different background, different everything. But last Friday, just two days ago, it was a beautiful sight. Now a quarter of them speak English, so trans, it's easier to communicate now. Uh, so we just find, we always try to keep one person who knows English in the room. That's the way it works. But my point in all that is just that I could have never in a million years predicted 
what journey God had for me. There was not a chance. There was no scenario in my mind where I thought, okay, there's going to be an Islamic terrorist regime that's going to come and attack a country and they're going to cause the people that were there to be displaced and then I'm going to be like, okay, come move with me. (laughs) There's no way for me to predict that. But my point in all this is that God, God's timing's best. God moves the nations. God knows what we need when we need it. And maybe you find yourself today in a place where Christmas is hard. I know for a lot of people this is actually not the most wonderful time of the year. Those that have lost loved ones. Maybe you're even watching online right now because you couldn't bring yourself to come to a service. And you wrestle with why did God not act in the way I wanted Him to act. Last week, Pastor John uh, brought up the story of how he and Brenda ended up together. And part of that story is I knew uh, Brenda and her husband, Scott, before Scott passed away. And Scott had a long journey with cancer. And in that time, Scott always said, God is good and does good. And what is cool is I see that phrase from all the people that interacted with Lincoln Lake during that time. I was just talking with someone on Messenger, and I was sharing some of the struggles, and he said, God is good and does good. And that was the legacy that Scott left. It was because Scott knew that, that God's timing is God's timing. It's not our timing. God doesn't promise us an easy life. He doesn't promise us that everything's going to happen the way we want it to happen. He doesn't promise us that everything will, will go according to our plans. But He does promise to be with us. See, God's timing is best. But the second thing is, God sent us Emmanuel. God with us. God sent us His Son. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God sent His Son. Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. He didn't come to defeat Rome. He came to defeat death. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish a heavenly kingdom. He didn't come to restore the nation of Israel. He came to redeem all people. Everyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. Jew, Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all are offered life in Jesus. He didn't come to set Israel free from the captivity to Rome, which is what they wanted. He came to set them free from their captivity to sin. He came to offer life. He came to die, to pay the penalty for our sins, to die on our behalf, to redeem us and give us new life. He came to seek and save the lost. 2,000 years ago, God gave the greatest gift ever given. He invites you to receive that gift. In John 1, it says this, To all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to be children of God. Today, God is inviting you. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never believed in His name, 
He's inviting you to become children of God, to be adopted into His family. Because at just the right time, God sent His Son for us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace and mercy. Lord, help us to remember these two truths that your timing is best and you sent your son. God, there are people here probably that are struggling with your timing. They want something to be different. Lord, help them to know that you are with us. That you don't promise that life will be easy, but you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. You don't promise that life won't be hard, but you promise that if we draw near to you, you draw near to us that you lead us beside still waters, that you restore our soul, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because you are with us. So thank you for that simple truth that God sent his son and that Jesus offers life. In your name we pray. Amen.